0: Well, good morning. It's great to have you here today. And uh, man, I love that song. That's, uh, you'll see as we talk this morning, it, it is really an expression of our worship to God. And uh, I, I think that it's amazing how that fits in like that this morning. A man was, had, or walked into a New York City bank and told a loan officer that he wanted to borrow $2,000 for three weeks. The loan officer asked what kind of collateral that he had. man said, I've got a Rolls Royce. Keep it until the loan is paid off. Here are the keys. The loan officer promptly had the car driven into the bank's underground parking for safekeeping and gave the man $2,000. Three weeks later, the man came into the bank, paid the $2,000 loan plus $10 interest, and regained possession of his Rolls Royce. The loan officer looked at him and said, "'Sir, if I may ask,' Why would a man who drives a Rolls-Royce need to borrow $2,000? The man answered, I had to go to Europe for three weeks. Where else could I park a Rolls-Royce for that long for $10? (laughs) Now that's strategy strategy. Last week we talked about our mission to make disciples of all nations, to make more people more like Jesus. And we saw from Matthew chapter 28 that that would require that we go, that we baptize, and that we teach to obey. But how as a church are we going to accomplish that mission how are we going to get that done well we need a strategy the guy with the rolls-royce had a strategy we as a church need a strategy and we have one a strategy is a plan that involves setting goals objectives Determining actions to accomplish those goals and then mobilizing the resources that we have in order to make it happen. It gives direction to what we want to accomplish and how we're going to get it done. That is a plan. That is a strategy. A strategy would be a game plan, if we call it. You probably remember hearing that term used uh, uh, often, but certainly a a few weeks ago during the Super Bowl. Each coach had two weeks to prepare for the Super Bowl. The team they were going to play, they had a game plan. They knew what they wanted to do with their offense, how they were going to score points. And they knew what they were going to do with the defense, how they hoped to stop the other team from scoring points. They had a game plan. And I'm sure, as we saw by the outcome, because we're not sure it was going to happen that way at halftime, that some adjustments to that game plan were made in the locker room because things changed significantly the second half as to the outcome of the game. A game plan. How is the team going to plan to win? That was their goal. How do they strategize to get that done? Well, our strategy here at Heritage Baptist Church, our game plan, if you will, is as we say, to grow up, to grow deep, and to grow out. And we have that strategy as we talk about. It's important that we grow up In our relationship with God, we're talking about worship. That we grow deep in our relationship with one another. That's talking about community. And that we grow out in our relationship with the world. That's outreach or what we may call evangelism. Uh, Taking the good news to those who don't know Jesus. And so to help you understand how we will accomplish or plan to accomplish our mission, we're going to walk through our mission strategy over the course of the next couple of weeks and talk about what does it mean to grow up, to grow deep, and to grow out And how that affects what we as a church do or don't do as it relates to our ministry strategy, our plan for ministry, the things that we would like to do, the things that we don't want to do. And how do we decide and determine what are the important things or the priorities in fulfilling the Great Commission of Matthew chapter 28. So today... We first want to talk about this importance of helping you, the church, to grow up in your relationship with God. To grow up in your relationship with God. This is about worship. This is about growing up in your worship of God. Learning to worship. Learning to grow closer to God. Drawing closer closer to God. James tells us that when we draw near to Him, when we draw close to Him, He will draw closer to us. And we want to talk about how we grow up in our relationship with God, how we come to worship God. Now, worship is one of those words that we use a lot. But it's also one of those words that we don't always get a good Definition of what it means. We talk about it. We talk typically about worship as, as what's going on right here on Sunday morning. We many times have have relegated worship to simply music, to simply singing. Uh, it may be we talk about taking the offering, we talk about our giving is a way we can worship God. And, and, and we talk about praying, and we talk about giving testimony or praise to what God has done in our lives as worship. But I sometimes wonder, do we really understand? Describe for me in your... Don't do it out loud. But as you think about it, when, when we talk about our men just pass the offering plates they up and down the aisles they took an offering and we call our giving when we put money we say that's worship tell me in your mind how is that worship think about that how is that worship something for you to talk about at lunch today or supper today tonight or if you're in a community group in your community group how is that worship? By dropping some money or a check in the offering plate. Well, we, we talk a lot about worship, but what is it? What does it really mean? And uh, I, I did some studying. You know, it was, it's interesting. It's, sometimes we think about the things that we know and, and talk about all the time, but then all of a sudden you dig into them and it's like, oh man, I... Hadn't seen it from that perspective. And so I, I uh, came, just did some word study and, and the word to make ob- worship, to make obeisance, to do reverence. The word comes from two words, meaning towards and to kiss. You ever talked about somebody would bow down and kiss someone's feet or they would kiss their ring or in the Old Testament, they would kiss the hem of the garment. And, and we talk about that is worship. That's the word to fall down, to stretch out with your face on the ground in adoration or submission, to be completely overcome with something, with God, with our God, the idea of worship, to express in attitude or in gesture or singing our complete dependence on and submission to God. We we just sang that song, Holy Lord Almighty, you are holy. I mean, we, we sing those words and we're expressing truth to god and and we're expressing dependence we're expressing submission worship is often defined as the giving of worth or honor to the triune god god the father we don't just worship god the father we worship the triune god god the father god the son jesus christ and God the Holy Spirit. We worship the triune God. They all deserve our worship. And so as we talk about that, it's important that we understand how we do that. How do we worship God? What does Scripture say? And we sometimes, you see, we know how to worship. Our our country is great at worship. We just had a big worship party on the first Sunday of February. I already referenced the Super Bowl. That was a big worship party. You say, what? I didn't know God had anything to do with that. Well, I'm not talking about worshiping God, but it was worship. We worshiped all kinds of things. I mean, think of the amount of money that was spent. That's an indication. Think of the... The time, the effort, the the worth that we gave, the honor that we lifted up, athletes that played or the coaches that led their teams or for some, the halftime entertainment. I I mean, we worship. We know how to worship. We do it all the time. It's just a question of what it is that we worship. You see, we give praise and honor to all kinds of things. We sometimes worship our favorite musician. We sometimes worship food. We worship our favorite team or favorite athlete. We worship the cars that we enjoy. Um, I've gone down to the, uh, there's a big Corvette show down in Carlisle every August. And uh, I've been down there with Raleigh Kiesling and looking at those Corvettes and, whoo wee, man! You know what that is? It's a big worship party. It is. You see, we know how to worship. I I stand in front of this Corvette, Raleigh. Take my picture. And then I send it off to my best friend who owns a Corvette and say, Ed, look at this picture. Look at this Corvette. That's a 65. There's only like 27 of them made. Wow. And, and we, see, we know how to worship. You ever talk about with excitement and affection and honor And adoration, your favorite vacation spot? You see, we know how to worship. Worship is the response of man to who God is and what he has done and is still doing. Worship is a response of man to who God is and what he has done and still doing. And and there are three... um, Truths involved. I came across from uh, uh, the Holman Illustrated Bible Dictionary. I, I, I like this, so I put that, pulled that out. And, and, and three truths. Number one, about worship. God initiated worship by revealing himself, his purpose, and his will. He initiates Worship. He gives us something to worship. He revealed Himself to us. He's revealed His will to us. He's revealed His purpose for us in His Word. And when we understand that, when we learn, when we see what it is that is revealed to us in His Word, then we have something to worship. We have something to honor. We have something to lift up and give praise to. You cannot not worship when we understand who God is and what He's done. Secondly, worship requires a spiritual and personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. You can can talk about that however you want, but you can't worship something you don't know. We can't worship God if we don't know God. We talked a few weeks ago. We spent time talking about the importance of knowing our God because you can't trust somebody you don't know. So if we're going to worship God, we must know Him. We must have a relationship with Him in the way we have a relationship with God is by faith in Jesus Christ Jesus died in our place for our sins and that's when we believe that we we come into a relationship by faith with God through the person of Jesus Christ and then we're in a position to worship God And I sometimes wonder if our worship isn't very good or if people don't understand what it means to worship because they really don't know God. They don't have a relationship with God because they've never put their faith in the work of Jesus Christ on the cross for us. That sin keeps us separated from God. But that's why Jesus went to the cross, gave his life, shed his blood, died on the cross as he did that, was buried and rose again, proving he was the Son of God, the Messiah, our Savior. And when we believe, we're changed. Changed from an enemy of God to a child of God. Forgiven. Given eternal life. And now we begin that relationship. Thirdly, worship involves, it necessitates a response by the worshiper. That could be adoration, humility, submission. Obedience is worship. Submission, putting ourselves under God's authority in, his, in our life, putting ourselves under God's the, the, the truth of God's word, the authority of God and his word. That is worship. Adoration. We sing. That's part of adoring when we sing, holy are you, God, you are so almighty. And, and, and I don't know if the words are right here. I'd read the song to you. Um, worthy. No, yeah. Holy, there is no one like You. There is none beside You. You open up my eyes in wonder. Show me who You are. Fill me with Your heart and lead me in Your love to those around me. I mean, just think of that. And if you sing that, Holy, there is no one like You. We're adoring God. I remember my dad. My dad... Always would sing to my mom or to my sisters. He'd just at at the right moment he'd start, let me call you sweetheart. I'm in love with you. I won't go anymore. Why? Because he adored my mom. He loved my sisters, his daughters. He worshiped the ground they walked on. To the day he died, he always honored my mom because he loved her. He worshiped her in that sense. He adored her. You see, we know how to worship. It's whether or not we do it that makes all the difference. And so, as we talk about this business of worship, it's critical that we understand worship is a response. Let me let me look with you at Romans chapter 12 and verse one. Romans chapter 12 and verse one. If you have your Bible or phone or tablet, whatever, or uh, underneath the chair in front of you, there would be a Bible there that you could look at. And I have it on the screen for you if you'd like. Romans chapter 12 and verses 1 and... Well, we're just going to look at verse 1 for now. But as we talk, I want you to see these three truths that I talked about. Paul says this, Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, he's talking to those who know Jesus, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. Now, let me show you those three truths that I just pointed out. We said, first of all, that God initiated worship by revealing himself, his purposes, his will. Well, there it is. I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, God's mercy. That's enough to cause us to worship God. God's not giving us what we deserve, that's mercy. God's not sending us to hell, which we deserve because of our sin. That's mercy. And God initiated worship. He, he talks about God's mercy. Then we said it requires a relationship, all right? I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. Listen, if you read what Paul says in Romans 3 about sin and what it's done to each of us when we're born, we can't please God if we don't know him. There's no desire, no interest. That's what Romans 3 says about our sin. We don't want to know God. We don't want to please God. In fact, we cannot please God. So we've got to know Him. There it is. If we're going to worship, we've got to have that relationship through Jesus Christ. And then the rest of the verse, this is your true and proper Worship. Some verses translate service. Others, like the NIV, this is your true and proper worship. There it is. A response. I urge you, in view of God's mercy, He initiated the response. Because of His mercy, we worship. God, we respond with true and we present our bodies, our lives, all of us to God. we're, We're sacrifices. We've been made holy. We've been forgiven and we please God and that is worship. That's what we're talking about. Our response. Worship is a response to all of God and all who He is and what He has done for us and what He continues to do every day we live. That's worship. It's not as difficult as we seem to make it. It's much more than just gathering together here at 9 o'clock on a Sunday morning and singing some songs and listen to me and, and whatever else and pray and all those. There, there's a whole lot more to it than that. And as we understand worship, we also know that it can be um, corporate. It, it's, that this is what we would call corporate worship worship. All church worship. We're gathered together as a body. There's more than one of us. And, and that is a form of worship. But it's also done individually. When we serve God, we're worshiping. That's why that word worship at the end of Romans 12:1 is sometimes translated service because our service for God is worship. All of life is considered an act of worship or service before God. I remember a number of years ago when I was working over at at CSU at that time, Baptist Bible College, and in the admissions department, and and I don't see Coach Shao here today. Coach Shao worked in our admissions department, but he was also the, the men's basketball coach. And he would talk all the time how he would teach his players that playing basketball was a form of worship because they had presented their lives there. They were representatives of Jesus Christ. And, and because they knew God, because they had a responsibility to live out God so that others would see Him in the way they lived, in the way they played basketball, it was a form of worship. Listen, that's true as we live our lives in everything we do. That's why Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, 31, a verse that a number of you I'm sure will recognize, so whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, everything else, do all what? For the glory of God. Not for us, not for ourselves, but for for God, so people see Him, to point people to Him, to help people understand who God is, to lift Him up, to give Him the honor, to give Him the praise. That's worship. And it's critical that we understand that. Worship is a way of life. It's an attitude or an expression of our complete dependence on and submission to his authority god in our lives and people see that and notice that and ultimately and that's what jesus said in matthew 5:16 when you let your light shine because we are the light of the world he says when we let our light shine what people see what we do our good work and they give glory to god by our lives we point people to god that's worship we want people to know it's god who makes a difference in our lives in every area of life so how are we doing with worship how'd you do this morning let's just talk about the one aspect of singing how did you do that so i don't have much of a voice i'm not really a good singer what does God hear your heart? Does He know your attitude? Absolutely. I might get myself in trouble, but that's okay. It won't be the first time or the last. But when we talk about music and argue about music, and we talk about the old hymns and the contemporary music and which is right and which is God-honoring, and which is, you know what? A lot of songs in both camps are not honoring. And a lot of songs are. But you know what the most important thing about our singing and the songs we sing or like or don't like? It's our heart. It's our attitude. I've watched people sing hymns Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. Oh man, I, I wish I had God's amazing grace. But you can, take, you can take the same song we just sang. Holy, there is no one like you. See, it's not the style, folks. It's, it's our heart that's what matters and that's at the heart of worship it's critical it's who we are before God the attitude with which we express the truth that we believe so our strategy begins with helping you to grow up in your relationship with God. We want to help you to know how to worship God, to know how to respond to God by enabling or equipping you to think correctly about God. Now I'm going to give you three, three truths that we can jump right into and use in our lives, but, but we want you to grow up in your relationship with God by thinking correctly about God because if you don't think correctly about God you can't worship God because it's not true thinking correctly about God correct thinking starts right there that's that's it and first of the, the first commandment of the 10 back in Exodus chapter 20 we read you shall have no other god before me No other, but Satan hasn't stopped trying to come between God and man since Adam was created. Satan is always out to come between you and I and our God. If he can keep you from believing on the Lord Jesus Christ, that's what he'll do, but once he's lost the war, when we come to know Jesus Christ, he's gonna still try to get between us and God and keep us from being effective, keep us from worshiping God, keep us from pointing people to God, keep us from knowing him and making him known to others. He will do that. Listen, Satan did that in the the wilderness. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was in the wilderness? And Satan went there to tempt Him and tempted Him three times. The last time, Satan tried to get Jesus to bow down and worship Him. That's what he said. Satan said, I'll give you all the... The, 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 the nations of the world, if you'll just bow down and worship me. And what did Jesus respond? How did, what did he say? He said, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Satan was trying to come between Jesus and his Father, God the Father. And Jesus said, no way, worship the Lord your God and serve Him only. But you know what? We typically have other gods before Him in our lives, don't we? We just talked about all the things that we worship. All the things that we worship that we bring before God, that are more important to us than God, that we allow to come between us and God. We must think correctly about God. came across this quote. I think I've talked about this book before, A.W. Tozer's The Knowledge of the Holy. Back in 1980, I read this book for the first time and this, the, the highlighted yellow is fading, but here it is. What comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. And the most portentous, significant, is what that word means. Fact about any man is not what he at a given time may say or do, but what he in his deep heart conceives God to be like if we don't think correctly about God if we don't understand his holiness if we don't understand that he is incomprehensible if we don't understand that he is almighty that he is all powerful if we don't know that he's faithful that God is good all the time that God is love not just loving God is love that God is sovereign in complete control of all things, every second of your life and mine, everything that happens in this world, including on the political scene, I am amazed at how fearful and upset and angry God's people get when they look at the political situation. Folks, that's got nothing to do with what God's going to do. In fact, God lets them be where they are. God is sovereign. And if we're not thinking correctly about that, we're going to be scared to death about what's happening next November. We must think rightly about God. How do we do that? we got to dig into God's Word. Paul continues in Romans 12. Two, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. I don't have that on the screen, by the way. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. How do we renew our mind? We talked about this a couple weeks ago. We fill it with God's truth. That's how God changes our thinking. That's how God gives us correct thinking. We put God's truth in our minds. Titus chapter 1 and verse 1, Paul writing to Titus says, Paul, a servant of God and an apostle of Jesus Christ, to further the faith, he's saying this is what my job is, I am Paul, a servant of God, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I am going to further the faith of God's elect. That's the believers in the church there in Crete, that, that where Titus is. I'm going to further their faith and their knowledge of the truth that leads to godliness. You see, if we don't think rightly about God, we won't be godly. Paul said, I'm going to teach. That's what God has called me to. God's people truth. That leads to godliness. Think correctly about God. Secondly, to feel passionately for God because if you're not passionate for God, your worship will be meaningless. If it doesn't come from your heart, we talked about that a minute ago. We get passionate about a lot of things, don't we? just told you how that my dad was passionate about his love for my mom and my sisters. Now, he loved me too, just, you know. But, but, but a job, you, you're passionate about your job? I hope so. You're passionate about, some people are passionate about pizza, right? Some people are passionate about ice cream. Oh man, I love ice cream. See, some people are passionate about politics, about music, about grandkids. Oh, man. Basically, my, my granddaughter, my daughter's daughter, sends me this voicemail. And, and it, it thought it was my daughter and I just turn it on it's, Hi, Grandpa, I just melt. I hear those words and I just, oh, I play it over and over again, don't I? I just, I'm like, I can hear those words, hi, Grandpa. I'm passionate about my grandkids. We can be passionate about money, about athletics, about our favorite sport, about our car, about my truck. I had a truck a number of years ago, thanks to northeastern Pennsylvania roads, it rusted out. But my best friend back in 2005 gave me a brand, not about a four-year-old, beautiful Ford pickup truck. Oh, man. I love that truck. You understand what I'm saying about passion? So why is it that we struggle to be passionate for God? Why is it when we can be passionate about a 1,001 things, I can turn the TV on, put on a ball game where my favorite team is winning or losing, and I'm yelling and passionate about that stupid game that a num- it won't matter for eternity. Why can't we be? Well, I'm not just, it's just not my personality. That's got nothing to do with personality, it's the truth that's in our hearts that tells us what God has done for us, how can we not be passionate about all that He's done? Paul said in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10, I want to know Christ. I want to know Christ. He has to know the power of His resurrection and participation in His sufferings becoming like Him in His death. I want to know Christ. Do you feel the passion? Thirdly, we must live obediently before God. We must think correctly about Him, about God. We must feel passionately for God. We must live obediently before God. And I'll just talk to you about James chapter 1, verses 22 to 25. And you can write that down and look at it later where James says, Do not merely listen to the Word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. What's he mean? Respond. Respond to that truth. Do what it says. And he goes down to verse 25. Whoever looks intently into the perfect law, that's God's Word that gives freedom. God's Word gives freedom. How can we not be passionate about freedom? I know I'm talking about obedience, but man, whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, But doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. Just read those verses in James 1, 22 to 25. I was all set to roll this morning, finished, and was was coming up to get dressed, take a shower, was going to shave. And I looked in the mirror and I thought, you know what? This would be a great illustration if I just don't shave this morning. Because that's what James is talking about in 1, verses 23 and 24. He says You're just like a man looks in a mirror and doesn't do anything about it. So I thought, but problem is the older I get, it just I can get by with not shaving for a few days. Nobody knows. It would take me like 2 years to grow a beard. <laughs> so I couldn't use that illustration, but that's the illustration. Been doing some painting in her house. If I had paint all over my face and looked at it and came to church, that's what I should have done. Because then you'd all be looking at me like, what? Go ahead, go ahead. (laughs) But that's what it's like when we know the Word, but don't do it. Obedience. Well, we have people worshiping, responding to God all week long in this building. Facilities team. David, what, we talked about 15, about at a time. But probably since we started last June, there's been how many different people? 20 or so so different people because some people get involved and they don't want to give up their spot. You know what they're doing when they walk around here and vacuum and empty trash and wash windows and clean the toilets in the bathroom? They're worshiping God. They're doing it in response to all that He's done for us. Because of who He is. That's worship. It really comes down to this. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37. Jesus replied, Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and great commandment. Bob Coughlin, who wrote a great book on worship called Worship Matters, said, while it's simplistic to say that worship is love, it's a fact that what we love most will determine what we genuinely worship. What we love most will determine what we genuinely worship. You know what that is? Jesus says in Matthew 6, Where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Is God your treasure this morning? Do you know Him? How are you worshiping God with your life today? How are you? You've got to answer that question. Because after we leave this auditorium and this time together as the body of believers and you can worship God with your life on your own, how will people know you're worshiping? How will you know? What will you do? What does your response to God say about your love for Him? What does your response to God say about your love for him. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. Because that determines how we worship and who we worship. I'm not trying to say this morning that we're not worshiping God. Maybe some aren't. I don't know all that but we can, get, we can do better. We can get closer. Trust that you'll determine to love the Lord your God and worship Him. Father, stir our hearts with who you are and what you've done. Oh, I pray that we desire to grow up in our relationship with you. to give You the honor, the praise, the adoration, the obedience that You deserve. For it's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.